0: After being battered by three years of COVID restrictions, China's economy is rebounding and it's welcome news here in Australia. At its annual session of parliament, leaders set a growth target of 5%, well above the 3% growth experienced last year. Spending on defence will rise, as will spending on Beijing's diplomatic efforts. For more, we're joined by Richard McGregor, a senior fellow for East Asia at the Lowy Institute, and our guest this morning, welcome to Breakfast. Good morning. A 5% growth target is is definitely a rebound, but it's a pretty modest one. Are you surprised China's leaders haven't been more ambitious?
1: Well, I think they're careful this year not to be too ambitious because there's still so many problems. I think that's the first thing. The second thing is that the official growth rate last year was about 3%. In fact, it was probably lower than that. So if you get to 5% this year, I think that's fine. And the early signs are that the economy is uh, rebounding, as you said, quite strongly. But I guess they're pessimistic that that strong rebound we're getting in the first months of this year can be sustained.
0: So is this about Beijing setting growth targets, essentially, then that they're confident that they can meet? or, Or does it reflect some of the genuinely bigger challenges the economy faces, including the housing market contraction?
1: Well, it, it, it's, it's a bit of both, I think. I think the growth target is not 5%. It says something like around 5%. So there's wiggle room there. There's always also been a long debate in China about whether you should have targets anyway like this, because they're pretty old fashioned. But once you set them in a sort of command political economy, you have to meet them. So all sorts of things then uh, are sort of manipulated or fiddle around the edges to get there. I think the really big question for China is not so much, is two things. First of all, what kind of growth if it's just more investment spending more airports more airports more roads more buildings that's not sustainable if it's a more consumer land recovery which is what they want then that is but the other question is what is the you know we're going to get a rebound this year post covid what's the sustainable level from 2024 onwards because that's going to be lower generally And that's what China is focused on, sustainable, long-term growth.
0: So what impact will this have on Australia? Obviously, we are strong trading partners. What impact will it have on us?
1: Well, frankly, we do well across the board um, from Chinese growth. Investment growth obviously helps us in a very direct fashion because that's metals intensive and that's iron ore. Uh, but, you know, even in consumer areas, uh, in service areas, part of the rebound, of course, in China is people traveling again. That means tourism students. And even under the punitive trade measures that China took against us about three years ago, our aggregate trade has held up well. So wine has suffered, lobsters have suffered, et cetera. But our trade with China is still very healthy. So healthy growth in China uh, really helps support the Australian economy.
0: The US has cut off China's access to microchips and this year representatives from the tech hardware sector uh, appeared on, on delegate lists for the first time. How much of an economic challenge is this ban on microchips?
1: Well, it's it's, it's a massive challenge. It really is the sort of, you know, the the great technological contest of our times. First of all, can the US sustain a sort of semiconductor embargo against China that involves not just the US intellectual property, but the US doesn't make many chips. So it's about Taiwan, it's about the Dutch firm which helped makes it, it's about Germany, it's about Japan, it's about South Korea. That's an unwieldy coalition. The second thing is, of course, the argument in the US, you put a semiconductor embargo on the United States, You simply encourage China to invest more in its own capacity and they catch up faster. The problem is, in semiconductors, it's extremely difficult to catch up faster and do it on your own. No country can do this on its own. And China's efforts so far have had mixed success. And in fact, a lot of the people in the big billion-dollar funds which were investing in semiconductors have been arrested for corruption. So (laughs) it's a struggle.
0: Now, Chinese defense spending is set to rise to seven point two percent, but it's about a quarter of what the u s spends and it's a pretty modest increase from seven point one last year. How do you read this figure?
1: look, it's really steady as she goes It's really if you look at the with inflation and the like it's about the same as economic growth, but it's a little bit of a misleading figure you know uh, ch- official Chinese spent Defense spending doesn't capture all defense spending. That's the first thing. So it's it's larger than a quarter of the United States, and also because they do things, you know, build things more quickly and more cheaply than they do in the United States. It's you know it's that the, the quarter of the Pentagon spending is also kind of misleading. So you know, I mean, the Chinese military buildup didn't start on the weekend. It started 25 years ago, and it's continuing uh, apace.
0: Let's talk about Taiwan, uh, the other huge issue. Premier Li Chiang called for greater economic and cultural exchanges and cooperation and improving the, the system that could contribute to the wellness of the Taiwanese, wellness, I'm quoting. Does that represent a significant softening of the language? I mean, that's been the broad interpretation. Is that how you read
1: it? Uh, personally, I, I don't. I think um, uh, Li Chang is on his way out of, uh, as Premier, he's finished his second five-year term. Uh, in his public statements, um, he's you know he doesn't handle national security. He's generally more dovish. What it does perhaps re- uh, reflect, and we'll see over the, over the coming year uh, with what Xi Jinping says, and we have a Taiwanese election early next year, what it does perhaps reflect is that China has lost Uh, the Taiwanese public. 90% or so of Taiwanese don't want to be ruled from Beijing. Uh, They've lost the ability to seduce, persuade people in Taiwan. So perhaps it's just a glimmer of acknowledgement that what China has been doing on Taiwan policy has not been working.
0: Mm. You mentioned him stepping down. President Xi's inner circle will be entirely made up of those personally loyal to him. How much will that change things?
1: Well, that's a very good question, I think, you know, because it's quite abnormal. The new lineup is everybody is a Xi loyalist, and there's no internal sort of factional balancing, which China has al- always had. It's not unlike the coalition in Australia or the Labour Party uh, as well. You always have some sort of internal balancing. That's gone now. So the interesting question is to whether um, uh, uh, Xi's offsiders, some of them have, you know, very competent records as governing officials, can actually speak more frankly to him or whether they're simply uh, yes-men. And I think we're going to have to wait to see that unfold. I wouldn't dismiss them all as yes-men, but it's very hard to see uh, in which areas they persuade she to change tack. And I think the one we watch most closely is the economy and the private sector, which she has been very tough on.
0: Tomorrow we'll hear from the new Chinese Foreign Minister, Qingang. Penny Wong has already met him. How likely is it that Beijing will use this to reset what's been really quite a combative diplomatic tone?
1: Well, it is very interesting that, yes, Penny Wong, as you said, did meet Qinggang um, uh, on the sidelines, I think, of the Raisina Dialogue in New Delhi last week. Uh, I think the big test for the Australia-China You know, recalibration of relations is going to be August. That's the big announcement whenever it is, later this month, early April. Uh, And, you know, China is vehemently opposed to that. Critical of it has tried to undermine it in Southeast Asia and the like. So, you know, there has been, you know, a gradual warming on, an attempt on both sides to build a new foundation for bilateral relations. But, you know, I think that those efforts have limits, and I think the limits will be tested by something big uh, like AUKUS. But still, it's interesting that um, uh, Pennywong and Gang met and we're still talking at that level.
0: Just finally, if we can turn to the war in Ukraine, China offered up a peace proposal, but it's been left on the table. How is it positioning on this issue and is it having any success
1: yeah, I think we're, we're probably – I've probably done it myself. We're probably flattering it to call it a peace proposal. It's more a statement of diplomatic principles. And on the face of it, it's going absolutely nowhere uh, because China really isn't trying to mediate. I think they're simply trying to reposition themselves as from being you know, uh, very clear supporters of Russia to having a somewhat more balanced approach because China's support for Russia – has really hurt Beijing diplomatically, particularly in Europe, but in many countries, I think, and they want to, you know, get out from under that uh, perception. Um, but they have to balance the fact that they are supporters of Russia. They don't want Putin to fail because Putin's an important partner, their only really powerful partner in competing with the United States. So they're trying to get out, you know, of a very difficult position. And improve, you know, get a better balance into their diplomacy generally on this issue.
0: Always lovely to speak to you, Richard. Thank you.
1: Thank you very much.
0: Senior Fellow for East Asia at the Lowy Institute, Richard McGregor there.
1: Think bigger about the world we live in. Ask your smart speaker to play ABC RN.
0: Me again, podcasters. I hope you're enjoying our coverage of international affairs on RN Brecky. And if you're looking for more stories that put world events into context, then look for Between the Lines
1: on the ABC Listen app or wherever you get your podcasts.